Okay. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe that you, uh, because of what you have done in your son Jesus, that broken sinners like us can be cleansed in your eyes so that we can come into your presence and stand in awe of you and know that you not only accept us, but your word says you sing over us and you delight in us. And Lord, you also, you call us to fear your name, not to, not to run away from you in dread, but to run to you with an awestruck reverential love that leads to lives that live in awe before your word. So Father, I pray that you would send Holy Spirit to breathe on this word this morning and to breathe on our hearts as we receive it from you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one of those weeks where, you know, it's Lent, so I was thinking, what should I preach on? And of course, we've got Psalm 95, which is a very perfect Lenty type psalm. But I had this sermon written that the Lord, uh, that I felt like was, um, I was supposed to preach on the fear of the Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table it for now because I, the Lord had me open my Bible up the other day to Acts chapter 2, and I realize it's not Pentecost right now, but I reread all of Acts chapter 2, and the Lord said, I want you to remind my people of my vision for every church. I want you to remind my people of my vision for every church. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. We're not going to uh, read the entire chapter. We're actually going to look towards the end of the chapter. And I want to, uh, for those of you who are a part of our core team at Adoration, and you've kind of been around since the early days, some of this will kind of bring back some memories. I preached on this uh, quite a bit in those early days and talked about this as a vision for the Lord's Church, but I kind of want to take us back here, and so I'm just going to read the passage, and then I'm going to go back and work through it. Everybody tracking so far? Sound good? All right. Uh, starting in verse 42, Acts 2, 42. So now Pentecost has taken place. There's been an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, and now we are going to see uh, how the church lives its life together, okay? It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. If you are a sermon uh, type person, you could use the uh, sermon note taker. Uh, you could use the title God's vision for every church. Or you could uh, use the title, Process and Breakthrough. And I want to talk to you, and I want to look here at the early church's life together in the earliest days. The air conditioner is against me right now in my Bible, so I'm going to try to move over here so it quits flipping my pages uh, backwards on me. Okay? You all can still see me? Um, but there is, uh, to, to live out our lives as a, as, a, as a part of the body of Christ we have to understand process and breakthrough in how being, a, being the church of Jesus Christ involves both. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean by those words. So let's look at this first verse. It says that they, and that's the believers in Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Okay, that is what we now have bound in here, scripture. So they would gather and devote themselves to teaching. There are many accounts even outside of the Bible that talk about like long readings being read in the gathered assembly and then people meditating on it and then the preacher of the assembly standing up to give an exhortation on it. But there was a devotion to the word of God. And those of you who are just getting plugged into the discipleship groups, whether the men's or the women's, we're trying to, you know, call us all to a high standard of devotion to the word, which means like daily Bible reading. It means like waking up a little bit early because Jesus is worth it and getting in the Bible and seeking to grow and digest what you're, what you're reading and taking into you. And that kind of stuff would probably fall under the category of process. And process is like the parts of Christian discipleship that aren't always mountaintop experiences, okay? And some believers or some, some people who come into the Christian church, they get a mountaintop experience, and I'm all about mountaintop experiences, okay? Just for the record, I was having one, I think, this morning in worship. Uh, but they have a mountaintop experience and then when it comes to following Jesus in everyday life and letting him be Lord of my life and living in obedience to him, I don't really find that all that exciting. I don't know. It's just really hard for me to get up in the morning and read scripture. I don't know. I, I'm just not the type of person who talks to other people about Jesus. And all of those things, it's like, okay, you're proud of the fact that you disobey God or that you have a lack of zeal for his word and for his Messiah who he raised from the dead for the sins of the world. So I want to say, remember that process cannot be pulled away from breakthrough, right? We should come together on Sundays and we should encounter the Holy Spirit and see miracles and see people come to the Lord, people who don't know him, people who are cold in their faith, who don't really walk in a relationship with Jesus. We should see all that happening. And that's like breakthrough, right? And I love that stuff. But if you jump from Sunday to Sunday, and some people, they jump from church to church looking for the next mountaintop experience, but then in their daily life, they're still looking at porn, they're full of pride, they lie to their coworkers to get ahead, and their lives are, are in disobedience to God, right? So we don't, we don't want to miss that God is just as concerned about the process, the, the, what one uh, author calls the long obedience in the same direction, God's just as concerned about that in your life as he is you having mountaintop experiences. You've heard people say that the fruit or the gifts of the Spirit, right, the power encounters with the gifts of the Spirit, they have to be built on the fruit of the Spirit, right? There has to be a shaping of our hearts that the breakthrough is built upon. And so it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which we at adoration, I think we do that pretty well, right? That's just gathering together to celebrate what the Lord is doing the breaking of bread, and to prayer. One of the things that you'll see happening uh, this summer, actually it's already happening in, in uh, Nick's home and in my home, is uh, this idea of the culture of invitation where we want to invite neighbors over to break bread with us over our table and bring a couple people from church too and, uh, and serve people in our neighborhood that way and bring the gospel to them that way. And so part of our apprenticeship throughout the summer will be a couple people going with, alongside somebody who's comfortable and experienced with hospitality and serving a, a family in their neighborhood with them and learning how to have faith conversations and get to know people and ask them questions. And the Lord's going to work through that kind of stuff. 
right? And that doesn't, that not necessarily always looks like breakthrough and fireworks, but that's also a part of process. It's a part of obedience to the Lord to reach the lost and the brokenhearted. So the breaking of bread was happening and they devoted themselves uh, to prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, the revivalist of the early 20th century, he said, you know how popular the pastor is by the attendance on church, at church on Sunday morning. He said, you know how popular the sermons are by attendance at the Sunday night service. And you know how popular cell phones are by their ringers. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, he said, you know how popular the sermons are by how many people come to the Sunday night service. And he said, you know how popular God is by how many people show up to the prayer meeting. There was a few of us praying this morning, and man, Holy Spirit was present in the powerful ways. So that invite is always open. That's not meant to be a scathing rebuke. But we need to be a people who are devoted to prayer, right? The creator of the universe is offering you intimate knowledge of himself in relationship with himself and wants to be a, not only a, a father to you, but a friend to you and wants you to know him intimately. And you're trading off that opportunity for an extra 30 minutes of sleep, some of you, every morning. And the Lord wants to, uh, to bring us into a place of a deeper devotion to prayer. I, I need to hear those words too. I need to hear those words too. Now listen, we're going we're gonna to jump for a minute here from kind of the process of daily gathering and, and studying at the Lord's word and sitting at, under teaching and things like that that are so important. And now we're going to look at this because some churches, they do all that. But then when it comes to making space for the Holy Spirit and the signs and wonders that he wants to do, they're like, ah, you know, that was kind of, you know, that was back then to kind of kickstart the church. We don't really do that anymore. I don't think God really do, does that. Maybe he heals once in a while or something. But they don't make space for the Holy Spirit to show off his glory and his power. Okay, and so there's actually process, but there's no breakthrough. But there was, there was no separation of those in the early church. Watch this. It says, verse 43, everyone... Say that. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So in the earliest days of the church, the apostles were demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit through healing and casting out of demons were the two primary things that were happening. And we know from historical research, there was a Yale historian named Ramsey McMullen who wrote a book called Christianizing the Roman Empire, 100 to 400 AD. Yeah, I know it's nerdy to read things like that, but listen, this is what he discovered. The thing, this is a historian, not a, like a devout Christian. He said the thing that uh, led to the spontaneous expansion of the early church, the number one thing was the culture that Christians had of miracles. People could go and have demons cast out of them and their bodies could be healed of sickness. Talk about an instrument of church growth. Imagine that, the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit on display among his people. And we don't want to neglect that or ignore it. We ignore it at our peril, uh, both because it is a driver of how the Lord brings people to Jesus, and it is his means of growing his church, one of his, one of his chief means. But the apostles, they started demonstrating it. But if you keep reading the book of Acts, you see that people who are not ordained, people who are not apostles or pastors or whatever, you see that they are walking in signs and wonders as well. 
you can see that people who are not ordained are uh, casting out demons and healing the sick, and people are gathering around to see what's going on, and then they're preaching the gospel, and people are coming to know Jesus and to be reconciled with God. So we, can't, we don't ever want to forget that, that supernatural, the supernatural power of God that he wants to be flowing through us is one of his chief means of getting people's attention and shaking them out of their spiritual slumber to show them that there is a God who is real and he loves you and he wants you to be reconciled to him and turn from your sin and walk in relationship with him so that you can have eternal life. That is one of his chief means of getting people's attention. And I fear that the church today, one of the reasons the church is not uh, growing and expanding the kingdom of God in the Western world, at least, is because we're missing this. We're kind of like treating like it's optional. It's like, well, you know, we could have like a, you know, we could have a service every few months where we might pray for some healing or something, and that's fine. But if we don't make that a part of our culture adoration church, where it's normal for people to be healed of sick, sickness or to get set free from demonic oppression, then we're, we're, we're missing God's vision for the church. Okay? So, moving on. It says this, 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, okay, this is not like Christian socialism or something. It is that there are people who are so impressed by the truths of the gospel that Jesus gave everything. He lived poverty, both physical and spiritual poverty, so that you and I might become rich with salvation, with, the, in, with his eternal treasure, with walking in relationship with the Lord. And so when people are really shaken by that, they not only become believers in their mind, they become generous out of their hearts. Because you say, Jesus gave everything for me. I'm going to lay it all down at his altar. Now, I don't give very many sermons on stewardship or giving. Um, it's just not my favorite thing to talk about. But here's a mini one for you. <laughs> here's a mini one for you. How many of you remember the story from the Old Testament about the tabernacle getting built? Or the temple getting built? I can't remember which one it is. And what does God say? He says something like this. I'm paraphrasing, okay, because I didn't put a ribbon in my Bible for the verse. But he says, come and bring, tell the people to bring their riches, their jewels, their sacrifices, and to just empty themselves of it and see if I don't open the storehouses of heaven to provide for you. So there's, there's our principle for giving. The more radically generous you are, the more God will take care of you and use your generosity to advance his kingdom. All right? We need, I'm telling you folks, I'm just being honest with you, we need more regular givers we need people to start moving more into that, that place of just radical trust in God where you give 10% or whatever God calls you to. Um, I, I do it because I just know that if I stop doing that or if I skim on it, then my heart's going to follow and I'm going to skim on other things and, and all that. Now, I'm not saying you're condemned if you're not giving 10%. I don't think that the New Testament commands us to. But I don't see any reason why, if in the Old Testament the 10% tithe was required of people, that in the new and better, more glorious covenant we should give less. That's just my philosophy. I'm not saying that that's the law of God over you, but th those are my thoughts. And we, you know, we want to be a people who give generously. And I'm not saying, you know, there's that new BMW out there on the, in, the, you know, in the sales lot that I'm wanting to pick up, right? You all have seen my van that's duct taped together out there, right? It's literally duct taped together. You can go look at it after church. It's quite a, quite a spectacle. But we want to be a people who have the money to advance God's kingdom. And we have two families of our families with little ones away today, or maybe even three. 
And if they were here and a couple more families with kids came in here, guess what it means? Time to rent a facility. And that's going to happen. Okay, that day is going to come. We have a lot of our, our regular people missing today. You look around the room, it's like we're going to, you can only expand so much in here. Okay, so th these are just things we want to be keeping in mind as we give regularly to the life of the church. It's always been a part of God's people and their, um, and their work and their mission is to give to the church so that the church can continue to grow and multiply for the sake of the gospel. And if you have some property that you want to sell to give to me, we're trying to buy a house, so you can, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, please, no, no, I am, but pray for that, we're trying to buy a house, and man, it's, it's stressful, <laughs> it says this, um, 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, every day they continued to meet together, there was, there's no reason for Christians to, to be um, compelled to meet together on a daily basis unless there is a presence among them that is so compelling they cannot help but keep coming back. People don't meet together every day. Like if I said, we're going to start having a daily Bible study, I'm going to teach it, it's just going to be one hour, it's going to be here at such and such time. Do I even need to continue? I mean, some of you might come every day for like a week and then on week two it'd be like, well, I got... That, right? And I, and I wouldn't expect you to. But they were gathering regularly because there was the, the compelling presence of the Spirit of God was in their midst doing signs and wonders and impressing the Word on people's hearts. And people were getting saved and demons were coming out. And people were getting healed. Who wouldn't want to keep going back and seeing that? Well, how much more interesting could it get? Okay. That's better than the latest Marvel movie with CGI explosions and all that stuff. That's way more exciting because it's real. It says, Every day they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love that I see that kind of thing happening in our midst and may it multiply where, where one person reaches out to another person and just says, hey, I'd like to get to know you more. Come over. I'd love to have you over for dinner, pray with you. And I see that, that sort of culture. Um, it's, it's alive here and I want to see it multiplying. You know, invite somebody over in the, in, in the core team in the church that you've, you've seen a couple times but you're not familiar with to come over. You don't need the pastor's permission for that. You don't need my or Nick's permission to do that. Have them over, get to know them, share a meal. The Lord grows his church in organic ways. He grows his church in organic ways through relationships and through people whose love and hospitality is so compelling that people are drawn to it and they're drawn to Jesus through it. And hospitality is actually listed as a gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to minimize that, right? Because we think of gifts of the Holy Spirit, healing, prophecy, and the more visible things. But hospitality is a, in a supernaturally empowered gift for some people. And some of you have it. Some of you have it and are stewarding it well. And some of you are going to start stewarding it well. Okay. So breaking bread, they, they, are, they're, they're, they have glad and sincere hearts. If joy is not a part of a Christian community, if I go to a Christian church and, um, or a Christian community group and there's very little joy, I have a red flag. I'm like, hmm, why is there not joy here? The joy of the Lord is our strength. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Right? It says that they ate with glad and sincere hearts. They were happy. That's what it's saying. They ate together. They ate meals and they were happy. And they probably, some of them probably had some wine too. And they were just happy. Because Jesus, that's why. Do you need any other reason to be happy than Jesus? He's risen. 
Man, when we were singing that about he, uh, he was about the, the resurrection part, you know, praise the name, when we were singing that, oh my gosh, the room was on fire because we're thinking about that's our hope. That's what we celebrate when we come together. Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. 47. It says that they were praising God. Let's say that together. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, let me just talk about praise for a minute because praise, praise is actually a part of your discipleship journey following Jesus. And what I mean by that is that um, praise, when you are a new disciple of Jesus, or this is just, it's something that's new to you as a Christian, of like praising God, like singing out loud and, and getting your being into it, that is something that can feel really awkward. And the reason that it feels awkward, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay, is because, and it, why it still feels awkward for some of us to kind of show any kind of emotion in worship is because we are worried about what other people in the room might think of us if they see us. Now, I, I walked through all of that myself, and there's a process of growing kind of into that, right? And so, you know, that process might look like, you know, I kind of start like this with my hands. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't lift your hands in worship, you're not worshiping. I'm just giving an example. You know, maybe that process looks like you start here, and then you kind of go up here, and go here. This is Anglican priest uh, lifting hands, right? <laughs> but, but anyway, what I mean is that there's a process of growing into that you love the Lord so much, you fear the Lord so much, that you don't have the fear of man about what people around you are thinking. And I, I'm telling you that, that some of us can be missing out on the joy that is being offered to us because in worship we're literally kind of like, we're like this. I was at a worship gathering late, uh, recently where somebody um, made a point. They, they shared with one of the leaders who are part of the leaders. They said, um, I just feel like I have a word from the Lord. And it. it's that um, when I look around, I see like a lot of like people are kind of looking down during worship. I mean, in some of them, it was kind of like a devout looking down. And he said, I feel like the Lord is actually calling us to lift our faces to him when we praise him. He's not like scowling at us. He wants to smile on us, but you can't see that and feel that and, and enjoy his affection and uh, his love if you're kind of crouched over like this or you're worried about what Joe or Tina over here is going to think of you if you might get more engaged with the Lord. But they praised God, and we know what their praise was like because it was Pentecosty. I use that word instead of Pentecostal so because then you'll start thinking of denomination. But their praise was Pentecosty. So if you go back to the beginning of chapter 2 and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, what, did it, what, what did people think about them when they were looking at them? They had a little too much to drink. And Peter says, no, it's, nine it's, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. For heaven's sake, nobody's drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? There needs to be a little bit more... Uh, freedom and Holy Spirit joy, if he, somebody came in and they saw us worshiping, maybe they might think like, man, these people are they're feeling good this morning. What have they been talking about? I mean, I'm not saying to, you know, you, you don't work up your emotions with hype, but in, in becoming a more um, uninhibited person in praise, you will grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit and knowing the presence of the Lord. All of those things, right? And so, I just wanted us to, to call our attention to this, that, 
there is um, process and breakthrough, and those things are part of a picture of walking together with the Lord as a community, because I know that if I asked all of you and I said, do you want to see um, this, what you see at the end of 47, where it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, you would all say yes. Yes, I want to see that, right? And so I feel like this is the Lord's equation, right? This is his divine formula. This is his vision for the church. Devotion to scripture and teaching, to fellowship, which sometimes just means showing up, right? Some of us struggle with that. Showing up is not our spiritual gift. And prayer, plus signs and wonders, making space for the spirit of Jesus to move in power commonality among their life, sharing, giving gifts to one another when the other person is struggling or has a financial need or some kind of emotionally, giving ourselves to each other and meeting needs and then meeting together regularly, breaking bread, having meals and praising God with joyful and sincere hearts equals the Lord added to their number all the time, people who were being saved. And sometimes I get, I, I'm, I'm the first to admit, sometimes I get off track and I can get, I have both been too tangled up in breakthrough and the idea that everything has to be a mountaintop experience and I've got to hype up the atmosphere and really get it going. I've been, I've been, uh, I've fallen into that, but I've also fallen into only digging into process and kind of studying scripture and teaching scripture and all of that as well. And we don't want to fall on either one of those because all of that is a part of life in the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen?